Hello, everyone, and welcome to ESIP's Global Economy Podcast. My name is Frederick Eriksson, and today I am joined by my colleague, Eric van der Marel. Eric is uh, the chief economist at ESIP, and besides that, he's also a professor at uh, the ULP in Brussels and work a lot together with the World Bank as well. Eric has for many, many years now done really pioneering work on issues like trade in services, trade in digital services and the digital economy more broadly, thinking and researching what type of changes that we are seeing in the global economy and of course in globalization. And this is also really the conversation I would like to have with Eric today. I should also say that Eric is actually writing on a book on globalization and what changes um, that we've seen in globalization and what they mean for our future. And I think if I'm lucky, I may be able to tease some stuff out of him about what that book is going to include. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast again. Hello, Frederick. So, uh, what I would like to start with is if we just sort of take the temperature on the broad political economy debate right now, there has been a lot of things that have been written over the past couple of years suggesting that globalization is dead, that we are now in a very new type of era where the global economy just not is, is is not going to become more integrated in the same way as we have seen over the past five, six, perhaps even seven decades with a gradual increase in how we are as economies and as individuals perhaps getting closer to people uh, in our work uh, or in our private lives with people that live on another side of the planet. Now, with a war in in Ukraine and with lots of geopolitical discussions around, I think that sentiment that globalization is dead has increased a lot. And I think there is an expectation out there, which is that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're going to be far less globalized than we are today. So if we start at that very sort of broad level and without going into data or specific issues more generally, what would you say to that proposition, Eric? Is globalization dead? I would say no. I think a lot of the discussion that we have seen on the potential deglobalization or the new normal of globalization is centered on one particular aspect of globalization, and that is trading goods and more specifically supply chain trade. It is true that a large chunk of global trade is happening within global supply chains. And that type of trade is slowing down. And there are some structural reasons behind it. But yeah, so the analysis that has been out there is very much focused on, on that type of trade. Now, the way I see it is that that is not untrue. I mean, that type of trade is slowing down, but it's not giving the full picture of what globalization is nowadays. And then my argument comes in, and I'm not the only one, but what I see here is that my argument really centers around two layers. First of all, is that the other side of globalization, which you also find in discussion often, is trade in services. And that has been increasing. And that's something that, you know, you see in the statistics. And that, that's just something that uh, if you, you know, do a nice figure uh, of the trend of, of this type of uh, globalization, that is increasing. 
But there is more to that story, I think, as well. And that is what I would call invisible trait or intangible trait. And that is about the globalization of ideas, globalization of technology, globalization of data. And that is, I think, very much alive. And if you would draw a scenario in about sort of 5, 10, 20, 30 years, I mean, that, that will be the focus, I would say, of, of globalization. So I think globalization is not dead. I think globalization um, is not experiencing a new normal. It's a part of globalization that is, of course, still fairly big. But there's a new globalization, I think, arising that will become big. So as you said, Eric, trading goods has been slowing. But I wanted to ask you there whether we're talking about an effect, which is that trading goods is declining, meaning that we trade much less in goods now than we did, say, five years ago? Or is it just that growth in trading goods has been slowing down? I think partly it's a growth effect. So if you would measure as an economist standard metrics of uh, globalization, it's basically looking at how international transactions, business transactions relate to your domestic economy. So if that international transactions are growing faster than what you do domestically in a sector or in a type of business, then globalization is happening and growing. But that has been sort of slowing down. It doesn't mean that, of course, trading goods or that goods globalization is in decline or is, is not happening anymore because we still trade, but not as fast as uh, before. And that is not really such a big surprise because if you look at over the last sort of 20, 25 years, that type of goods trade has been growing tremendously fast. And so in that sense, it is a growth effect that is slowing down. So one can say here then basically that at some point, these very elevated levels of growth in trading goods, they were bound to slow down. They, you know, you're not going to have such high levels of growth perennially. So they will have to slow down at some point, right? Yeah, there is this consensus that if you look at what is driving globalization and what is driving that very fast growth of globalization in the past, there are some structural factors that are laying behind that growth that makes it that it's actually very normal in a way that that growth has been slowing down. Now, what are those structural factors? One of them is the China effect in the sense that, I mean, you had a large economy entering the global economy, and that must have had an effect on globalization. That's just what we have felt, right? So if you think about supply chain trade, a lot of the stages in the supply chain have been outsourced to China. And China has capitalized on that momentum and the opportunity. And so, yeah, that has driven up like a lot of that goods trade that was part of these supply chains. Another or similar factor in that sense is Eastern European countries that became part of the European Union. A lot of European firms have capitalized on the fact that they could outsource lots of these stages to these countries. And so that drove up a lot of that goods trade compared to um, what you produce in your domestic economy. And so, again, if you would apply such a standard metric of globalization, I mean, that shoots up, right? But then again, I mean, those are the structural factors referring to your question about it was bound to happen. Yes. So partly yes, because of these structural factors, but partly no, because there is also you know, what we have seen and uh, what we some, some databases are measuring as well is that protectionism has gone up. 
And that is maybe not sort of upfront protectionism in the classic way that we understand it, but new regulatory rules and new regulatory burdens for businesses, new regulations that are happening um, behind the border, subsidies, these kind of things have gone up over the last, well, 10 years. And so, of course, that drives down, if those measures relate to goods, I mean, that also drives down the growth of globalization, of course. And that part is not inevitable. Sounds perfectly reasonable. And, uh, and I would assume that if we think through the moment where we are right now, and we also have pretty significant changes in the overall macroeconomic framework on interest rates, on monetary policy, and how that is going to affect global economic activity. It may be that trade and goods is going to slow down even further in the years ahead. But let's uh, move on a little bit more to the new parts or the growing part. So we've just discussed yeah. trade and goods, and, and let's talk more about trade and services and perhaps trade in, in digital services, sort of work that you've done uh, a lot of pioneering pioneering work on. Or, so what do we know about this? I mean, we, we know, I suppose, about the pace of growth. What can we say about the pace and growth? Is it general? Does it include all services? Or does it tend to be certain type of services that are the real drivers here for this new form of integration in the world? That's a good point. So what is often said is that this globalization of services is increasing. And that is, of course, true. But then you need to look at what exactly in the services economy is growing fast internationally. Because what we know is that one services is not the same as another services. One sector is not the same in the services economy as another sector. In fact, what we know is that they are very different. They have different ways of production and they have different ways of being traded, these services. And that is, I think, very important because you have a chunk of services, the way I see it, which are very dependent of what is going on in terms of globalization of goods. And I would call them supply chain related services or goods trade related services. And so what you see is that if supply chains are going down, or as we have discussed, the globalization of goods is going down, these kind of services are going down too. That globalization of these services is also petering out. What are those services? Those are transport services, retail services, construction services, the things that you what I would sort of say can see, I mean, we know that services are invisible, but they are sort of nonetheless visible because they're very much dependent on goods. I mean, you know, you build houses, you build plants, you see supermarkets, you, you know, you trade across uh, countries with uh, ships, with planes. And so I would call them sort of the tangible services. But then there is another part of the services economy, which I would call the intangible services. They are really, well, I mean, we produce those services, so we are visible, but the, the stuff that we produce remains invisible. And these are business services, to some extent professional services, but of course also the digital services. And so these, these type of services, they are the ones who are growing extremely fast, and they have seen like a, a rapid growth of international transactions compared to what they produce like domestically. And so that shoots up that metric of globalization to, to a very large extent. And if we look closer then into these intangible services that you mentioned, business services, professional services, digital services, 
why are they growing? So we talked about the structural factors previously when it came to trading goods. So the China effect, the sort of Central and Eastern Europe integration into the European economy that also drove a lot of new trade. What are the structural factors that are driving trade in intangible services? So to understand that part, we need to backpedal a little bit and sort of ask our, ourselves, what is driving globalization as such, like throughout history and what we know in economics? I always tell my students there are three factors that drive globalization, which I would call the three T's. That is transport, that is, well, traditionally tariffs, but that is more, that must be seen as a proxy for what is happening in terms of policy-wide. And there is technology. And this latter, the last point, that is driving that invisible services globalization, technology. So the internet, software technologies, uh, submarine cables, um, yeah, that is driving it because the cost of technology that drives all these intangible services, they have gone down like significantly over the last 20, 25 years. Now, the other part is, of course, that the, the first T, transportation, has come down for trading goods as well. But if you think how these intangible services are traded across border, is of course over the internet. And so combined with technology, I mean, you can easily see that, you know, the cost of transporting a service over the internet, I mean, has gone down. So trade costs for these kind of services that are traded I mean, you know, if you think about sort of connectivity, I mean, that, 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 that those costs, have, you know, come close to zero, basically. I mean, it's not expensive um, to, to get yourself connected to the internet and to, you know, send a service uh, from one country to another. And so if you compare that with, you know, the traditional way of how we understood transporting a good from one country to another, I mean, yeah, it, that is really the explanation for why we have seen such an increase uh, in, uh, in, in trade and services, or services globalization. Let's, um, we're soon going to talk a little bit more about perhaps some other structural factors too when it comes to these intangible services. I'm curious to know a little bit about the policy side and whether there is protectionism or defensiveness or regulations that prevent it. But, but before we go there, let me just pick up on one of the things that you mentioned initially and sort of when, when I asked you in the beginning, you know, is, is globalization dead? You said, no, I wouldn't say that. And if we look at the growing parts, you mentioned exactly what we're talking about now, but you also mentioned another thing, which was trading ideas. And I suppose trading ideas, what do you mean by that? Is it is it that all these new technologies now, they make it easier for knowledge for human capital to move across borders is it that is it is that what trading ideas are or is it something else? yeah so if you think about these three factors that usually drive globalization again that is important but that is also the standard story of explaining globalization what is really new about new globalization in my view is that and that also drives that services globalization but that was not so much before in in trading goods is that there are different type of flows that have entered globalization and that is globalization of ideas the globalization of data and that also shoots up that services globalization in addition so what does it mean and because we are so connected 
ideas, they flow from one country to another, you know, fairly easily compared to standard way of or in old globalization. So other parts of the world can get connected with the rest of the world or with other countries and learn how things have been sort of made, learn how to provide a service. They can connect to that human capital that is present in other parts of the global economy. The same for data. I mean, data can flow from one country to another fairly easily and much easily compared to trade in goods. And so these kind of flows remain also invisible, but they're very important for the production of services in another country. And so that is a second sort of factor that lays behind the standard story of why we have globalization in the first place. And what is it? Well, that is, for example, I mean, if you think about trade and ideas, I mean, that is, for example, that we develop an idea in a country, but we do not do that alone. I mean, we also collaborate more and more over the internet with other parts of the, the global economy where human capital is present. And so if you go into a company nowadays, I mean, you would have a colleague uh, not maybe sitting next to you in the office, but sitting next to you on the internet in another part of the economy, uh, the global economy, so another part in the world. And so, you know, you pick another one's brains, which are basically ideas. And so that international collaboration makes it that ideas are flowing from one country to another and that is what is, I think, driving a lot of that services trade in that new globalization. The same is for data. Eh? So if you look at like how sort of new services come together with the help of data, that is also because data is flowing from one part of the world to another part of the world within a business organization or within a multinational. And so they come together with engineers that are placed in different parts of the world. They come together, you know, through people that are work on a particular, well, let's say an application or another kind of, you know, software output. But these people are connected over software technologies that are within firms. And so that data is flowing from one place to another over the internet. And so that is driving that new globalization in services, because in the end, I mean, you know, the application that you develop or any kind of other output is sold as a services within, I mean, you know, companies like Google or companies like, I don't know, any kind of platform, or even if you think about Ubers, I mean, there's a whole supply chain behind it, where these ideas and data are, are flowing from one country to another. So, Eric, I mean, if we would then take this to another real-life example, let's assume that there is a sudden and urgent need in the world to develop a vaccine, a vaccine that is going to be used in order to protect people against the bad health consequences that could arise if they get infected by a particular virus, exactly the situation that we've had during the pandemic with COVID-19, of course. So at the end of that process, there is going to be a vaccine in a tube that is put in a jab, and that jab is going to go into the arm of an individual in order to get that particular health effect. But I would assume that if you step back and go back in that value supply chain before the vaccine actually gets into the norm of an individual, there will be lots of different collaborations, perhaps even trade between individuals, companies, countries. And it may be that in this exchange that takes place, university will, will participate or other forms of institute that may not be known for being 
big traders in a classic sense. So is that what you mean when you're talking about trade and ideas, that you will have a, a big human capital flow that perhaps starts with, in this case, someone coming up with the knowledge, the new knowledge of um, a new way of producing a vaccine or a new type of vaccine like mRNA vaccine that many of us have um, been vaccinated with over the past couple of years. And I suppose on the back of that knowledge, the researchers collaborated in intensely with each other. And then they started to collaborate even more when they wanted to take this technology into a vaccine. Is that trade in ideas? Yeah. So so if you compare that with how traditionally um, research and innovation took place in a let's say, a multinational that produces cars, is that at the very beginning of that supply chain, that company would do all the R&D, like in its head office or somewhere where they have like engineers working together and then develop that idea in producing a car. Now, that, I think, is what new globalization sort of breaks up. And that is, I think, driving a lot of that trade in ideas as well. So how does that work? So if you take the vaccine that you are referring to, I mean, that come in sort of technology that is used with a vaccine. I mean, there is scientists and other people that are collaborating together across borders very often. And that comes into like a patent. So that technology is often patented. And that is then sold to another company. So that was in this particular case, sold to, to BioNTech. And so what you have is that there were traditionally these kind of patents were developed inside a research and development department department or inside one company that now is taking place with individuals or scientists. Some of these scientists are attached to a university or companies are doing that together. And that ultimately may then be patented. And so then that patent is sold to another company that works on that patent, again, with different people from different companies. So here, I mean, this is a clear example of A, what I was pointing out to in terms of the flow of ideas, like people collaborating together within or across firms and across borders, like in one country and in another country. And that still remains unrecorded until that patent or that idea is going to be patented and then licensed to other countries. And that happens like very often, right? So there is that a part of trade and ideas that then is recorded and then ultimately comes into a product like a car or like a vaccine. And so that is really, I mean, what I would say trade in ideas. And that happens more and more. And that is, I think, also what is driving that new globalization. So just to go on with this example a little bit more, because um, I want us to get to the magnitudes involved here. So if we take the example of a jab, and let's assume for the sake of argument that the health service or the government that pay for the vaccine that is going to get into the arm of an individual costs 10 euros. If you look at the value of that particular 10 euros, then the value of the actual product, producing the actual vaccine or the jab itself is going to be very, very cheap. That's not going to cost much, but there's going to be yeah. sort of a lot of value behind it with all this knowledge that you were talking about, the research, the collaborations, things like you need to test a vaccine before you can actually start to use it. You need to go through an approval process in order to be able to use it. All that value itself is the substantial part of it, while mostly apart from sort of trading in, in patents then or licenses, but the big chunk of the value that is actually being produced 
produce, that isn't represented in the actual production costs, which is what the actual costs of, of producing the final good itself, which is going to go into the arm of an individual. So I would assume that if we if we use that example and we broaden into the economy more widely, there must have been a very, very substantial separation between the value of the final product and the value that is being created more broadly before there is a final product to actually to start to produce. Is that related to this big realm of trading ideas as well, that we have some stuff which gets recorded, and that can be the license, it can be the vaccine tube, which is crossing a border, but the big value of it and what the value it generates to companies or to individuals or to even entire economies, that must be much, 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 much larger. That is much larger, and that is precisely what is, as an undercurrent, driving that globalization. Now, how does it work? So the jab that you get is only 10 euros, but the technology, of course, that makes it that you can get the vaccine is way more expensive. You need to invest a lot of money. That is something that we know. But technology also becomes more and more sophisticated. That knowledge to get that technology also becomes more and more expensive because it becomes more and more sophisticated. And so the strategy then that companies are applying is that, okay, so to generate all that knowledge that, you know, before we did all in-house becomes so expensive, the value of that becomes so, so, so expensive that it's impossible to do that in-house all together. And so what you see is more and more collaboration and more and more what you know economists would say specialization. So we specialize in one part of that knowledge generation, but you know you still need to get that technology in place. And so then the incentive is to collaborate with each other because another company or another individual has another type of knowledge that is essential for generating that technology. And so because you cannot do that all by yourself anymore, it breaks up that supply chain of creating that knowledge. And so that is really um, happening on the ground. And so that is what is driving, you know, these knowledge flows within companies, but also across companies. And that is driving that flow of ideas. Now, part of that is, of course, patented. And so that is the visible part that we see. But a lot of these knowledge flows uh, remains unseen, yet it is happening. Yeah, that is that new globalization. But the point is that because, I mean, there's, of course, a lot of value behind a product that the consumer eventually uses, that knowledge becomes so specialized in terms of its value and so expensive that there is a need for specialization at the individual or company level. And of course, we know that the standard way of explaining globalization, as you know, Adam Smith or Ricardo, you know, have tried to explain us in the past, is that globalization is really um, the consequence of specialization, you know, among companies, among countries, sometimes even among individuals. If you think about scientists and engineers, and so you know, if you look at a modern global or a modern supply chain of companies, I mean, they look very different compared to 20, 30 years ago. There's a lot of more collaboration taking place between them and between individuals in different countries just because they are specialized and you know that specialized knowledge is not always there within a company or there within a country but are in other parts of the world and are working for different kinds of institutions universities or different companies and so more and more they are collaborating with each other to provide or develop that technology that is eventually put in a product like a car or vaccine Indeed. And I think that's a very interesting development in itself, because what I would 
conjecture then is basically that, you know, it may be that globalization, if we measure it only by known flows of trade across border, the flows that we can record, like, for instance, trading goods, it may be sort of on the surface looks like as if we are deglobalizing. But if we look at it from another point of view and say that, well, you know what, the point of trade was always that we were going to specialize, we were going to use different dynamics of specialization and comparative advantage in order to be able to generate more value from every input of time that we, or every input of resource that we're giving to the economy. On that score, it must be an enormous fast pace of change going on globally and cross-border right now, because these flows of ideas are pushing a lot more specialization onto the economy. Yeah, and that's what we see if we try and find alternative indicators of these types of flows. So it's not straightforward to find these indicators, right? Because, you know, these new types of flows, ideas and trade, uh, ideas and uh, data and technology, they are often not recorded. And to the extent that they are recorded, they do not fall within the scope of how we traditionally measure trade. They're also conceptually a little bit different, right? So there's not always a clear transaction taking place, although there might be, you know, but that still remains unrecorded because it has happening within a firm or there are different kinds of conversations going on. And so my argument here is that in order to get a good sense of that new globalization, we need to have a broader perspective and a broader maybe even imagination of how we measure these kind of you know flows that should become part of that globalization because it is just happening and so we need to broaden our sort of conventional way of measuring trade as we know it today and if we do that then we do see new globalization is picking up in the statistics but i mean it, it's still a long way to go eh? because it is not straightforward it is not sort of evident and easy, but I do think it is necessary. Very interesting indeed, Eric. A final question related to these forms of growing globalizations. So we talked about trade and services, we talked about trade and digital services, and now, of course, also about these new patterns of ideas crossing borders and fusing economies around the world. So the structural change which has happened, as you mentioned previously, was basically technology, uh, making it easier to transport services and to integrate in services. Are there other structural reasons as well. And I'm thinking here about policy, regulations, perhaps even protectionism. What's the development here? Is the world opening up or some parts of the world opening up or are governments moving also towards more protectionist or regulatory stances here that may eventually come to slow down the pace of change that we're seeing now? Well, that's the danger. So if you think about digital trade or digital services trade, I mean, as I argued, a large part of that is driven by the flow of data. Now, that is fairly new, of course, that is a new kind of flow that is or has been emerging. But governments also see that. And what we have seen is that some parts of the world would like to regulate that. And so what kind of regulations are then applied? Well, in some cases, these regulations are actually very strict very new. So we do not really have a sense of whether they are really a trade barrier or not in the sort of legal sense. But economists then sort of 
can measure that, whether it is at least restrictive to international trade in digital services, you know, restrictions applied to the cross-border flow of data. And they turn out to be restrictive. I mean, they turn out to have this negative impact on these digital services or digital services globalization. And so that is a danger. But the interesting thing is that you often see these kind of restrictions or regulations, regulatory restrictions applied to data being imposed in countries that are often not having a free economy, that are often a little bit more restricted overall. And so that forms a threat of how digital services globalization can evolve in the global economy. And so that is something, I mean, that, you know, needs to be seen in the future. And other countries are more liberal, are more free when it comes to uh, regulating data. And so, yeah, that, of course, is a divide. And so that, I think, also will be very interesting to see in the future. Now, that is related to data. But then if you think about another flow of ideas, I mean, that is very much emerging, right? And so often Oftentimes, what we'll see or what we have seen in the past, if that's something, if a flow or a sector is emerging and comes really more and more important, then governments would like to regulate that. So here, I mean, my thesis is, I mean, we still need to see what governments can or would perhaps do in order to regulate those ideas, those kind of human capital that goes from one country to another. Because, of course, I mean, there's a lot of value added attached to human capital. Human capital is very scarce. So if that flow becomes more and more important, I mean, you know, maybe governments would like to capitalize on that. So who knows what kind of regulations will be applied to that part of new globalization too. It's an interesting sort of time because, yeah, that new globalization is coming. But, I mean, as we have seen in the case of data, there's no guarantee that it will also be regulation-free, that new type of globalization. Yeah, and it must also be very, very difficult to regulate some of these things. I mean, if you have trading ideas basically being represented by people sending email to another individual in another part of the world, you need to go to very, very harsh and very sort of restrictive policy environments in order to stop that. You basically need to stop the ability of people to communicate with each other, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but that happens and sort of that can take place. I mean, people nowadays not only communicate through email, but also through platforms. And in some countries, these platforms are highly regulated. So the means of communication and the means of transmitting these ideas, I mean, can really be regulated in a restrictive manner. And so I think that that's, I think, forms a threat for how the world as a whole can capitalize on that new type of globalization. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been very illuminating and also very, very interesting because we are, of course, talking about frontline developments in the global economy right now. And I think it's also, to me, it's it's a very useful thing to do because it takes away some of that pessimism that, of course, is spreading like wildfire in the global economy or about the global economy right now, that we are doomed to uh, deglobalize and to reallocate our economies much more into nation state and what they do. So thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. With pleasure. 